be taking my text from verses 30 through 50. Mark chapter 9. Continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark, I want to just refresh our memories about uh, the first part of this uh, chapter. It's been a few weeks ago that we uh, looked at the transfiguration and the uh, healing of the demonic son and uh, Jesus' admonition to the disciples there concerning that. And now we begin in verse 30 of Mark chapter 9, And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one such children, of such children in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbade him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believeth in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. We see, I see basically three subjects here 
that we could speak on, and we want to try to cover as much of this as possible. In verses 30 through 32, Jesus talks about his death and his resurrection. Verses 33 through 37, we have a lesson on servanthood. In verses 38 through 42, we have a narrowness rebuked. In verses 42 through 50, of how to deal with temptation. <clears throat> now in verse 30, And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. Jesus had just been with the multitude, had been with the crowd, he had been with, with three of his disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he'd come down, and there was, there was some tumult going on, and Jesus asked them what this was about. And this man comes from the multitude and uh, says, Hey, uh, I, I, brought, I have my, my son here, and the disciples are not able to, to uh, cast him out and um, cast out the, uh, the demon or the evil spirit. And, um, and Jesus says, How long, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And Jesus casts him out. Of course, of course, the, the devil tears at him when he comes out. And Jesus wants this time alone now with his uh, disciples. And so he walks with them. They pass through Galilee. And he didn't want anyone to know it. He wanted to be alone with his disciples. There was something special. The time was narrowing down. Uh, time was coming to a close for Jesus. And there was something that Jesus wanted to specifically talk to his disciples about. He had told them about this before. In chapter 8, Jesus had talked to his disciples about his death and his resurrection. But they didn't get it. Jesus knew they didn't get it. And Jesus talked to him again about this in chapter 9. And then in chapter 10, he's going to talk to them again about this. There's Jesus, um, while that he spent most of his time with the 12 uh, disciples, and um, while that he taught them much, and they were with him often when he taught the multitudes, uh, you know, we would think three years of seminary, you know, a person ought to be able to get it. But I, I wonder, I wonder um, about my own self. I wonder about us here. I wonder if we would be able to get it with three years of seminary. Uh, we, I take a lifetime, and then I'm not sure that I really get it sometimes. <clears throat> But Jesus needed this time alone with his disciples. Other interesting thing that I noticed that I had not thought of before and had not really pondered over, and that is when Jesus talked to his disciples about his death, he always talked about his resurrection. Why is that? Why did Jesus do that? Well, I'm simply sharing my thoughts and, and speculating on this. I think there were possibly two reasons that Jesus talked to his disciples about his resurrection. Number one, I believe it was a, it was a consolant to himself. 
As Jesus talked about his death, he knew the painful consequences of the death that his father had asked him to go through. And the reason for his coming to earth, Jesus understood that, I believe. And so talking about the resurrection made it a bit easier. Now, I'm speaking in human terms. But it seems to me that it, makes, that it would make it easier for Jesus to deal with the pain of the cross as he thought about the resurrection only three days. Only three days and I will rise again. I will rise again. Can you think about the wonderful anticipation, the anxiety in Jesus' mind as he thought about dying and carrying the sins of the whole world? What a hopeless and deplorable situation that would be if it only meant death. Every other sacrifice before Jesus Remember, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice that, that pleased God. Every other sacrifice before, there was death and death only. Never did another sacrifice resurrect back to life. I believe that Jesus' resurrection... His death and his, and his shedding of blood is for the remission of sins. But his resurrection is the consummation of that seal of our salvation. No other sacrifice resurrected from the dead. <clears throat> Jesus talked about his resurrection. When he, always when he talked about his death. I will rise again. The third day. I think secondly the reason he talked about his resurrection was that for the disciples. And it's good possibility that the disciples understood things about death. But they had serious questions about resurrection. You might say well yeah but they would have had examples. They would have had the, the woman's son. Raised to life, they would have had the um, the 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 other man um, where Jesus came came to their house and he said that the daughter was sleeping and they laughed at him. Remember that that experience? It was actually on the way when when Jesus uh, when the woman was healed of her issue of blood. That was tw- twice, and then Lazarus. So uh, just off the top of my head, there's at least three people where the disciples were intimately involved with, that they could have understood that Jesus has the power to resurrect and that there was those people that were dead came back to life again. But Jesus, their leader, and we must remember that, that the disciples' idea, Jesus talked to them about the kingdom of God. And, and their idea of the kingdom of God was muddled with their growing up experience and the teachings that they had from their parents is that one day Jesus will come and will give us a kingdom and they un- interpreted, interpreted that as, as being a literal kingdom. 
And so if their leader dies, is killed, what happens to the kingdom? I think it was a consolation to the disciples that there is life after death. And And if it could have just soaked in, when Jesus talked to them about being killed, he's going to be delivered to the, into the hands of men. They're going to kill me. And, but after I'm killed, the third day I will rise again. Now, if we, if, we, if we allow that to sink in our minds and we think about that, we think about the awfulness of death and we think about the end of life, the end of our relationship with Jesus as we know it, the end of all these wonderful experiences. I mean, anybody that has a problem can come to Jesus and he'll fix it. That's wonderful. We'd like for that experience to just continue. But to think about death and all of that ending seemed quite hopeless to them. In fact, they probably they, they probably got so entwined with this thing of death that they passed over, or maybe they missed Jesus' words when he says, "I will rise again." Now, now, if we would, if we put ourselves in the disciples' shoes, and we think about the hopelessness, the 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 ending of of Jesus and his death. What a what a um, glorious thought if we could just believe the fact that yes Jesus is going to be killed he's going to he's going to die but the third day he's going to rise again and and this same glorious experience can go on but they missed it they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. Now, why were the disciples afraid to ask Jesus about this? Well, here again, we're simply, I'm simply sharing possibilities. But notice the last time that Jesus talked to them about his death and suffering. Turn back with me to chapter 8. Um, Verse 31 and following, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after third day, three days rise again. And Peter's response was, no, you can't be doing that. We're not going to let this happen. And Jesus rebuked him. Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. So were the disciples now afraid of a rebuke again from Jesus? Possibly. Were they, were they so befuddled in their minds that they, they just... We have to think through this a bit. Um, what really is Jesus talking about? I, I think they grasped... They, they, were, they were grappling with with trying to get their hands around what Jesus was telling them. I think they were trying to settle this thing in their own minds, first of all. And so, it's a good possibility that they were afraid to ask him because 
we're going to expose our ignorance again. I mean, we ought to know this, but somehow I just can't, I can't get my mind wrapped around this. And so, even though I don't understand it, maybe, maybe it would just be better if, if we just lay low and, and hope for the best. And hope things will work out okay. You know what I'm talking about? I said that from experience. I know that. Sometimes you wonder, what was that person trying to say? And so, I'm afraid to ask him because I should probably be picking up on this, but I don't. And so, I won't ask because I'll just play it low-key and we'll hope for the best. Hope things will turn out okay. They were human just like we are. There's something interesting, too, that we're a little bit hindered in the King James about this word kill and killed. Now, the word kill there doesn't mean just kill. (laughs) You may say, that's kind of funny. What do you mean? Kill doesn't mean kill. Yes, kill means kill. Let me give you a life example. A number of years ago, I had a lamb. I'll try to make this story short. It's close to my heart. I had a lamb that was born the day we had in January when it was uh, 20 below zero wind chill. Actually, I had a, a, a set of twins that morning and... One of those lambs died. Uh, the one was up and, and seemed to be doing okay. I got a call about noon saying there's another you that's having a lamb, and she was not pinned up. I had not expected that. And that lamb, we, 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 we put the you in, and we pinned her up, and, and we worked with the lamb. We put heat lamps and and heaters out there, and we tried to, it was kind of a futile attempt really looking back, but we tried to do the best we could, and um, we tried to save it, and we did save it. We got it to suck, and and, and we thought we were on the way. Well, long story short, its its front legs had froze, and the tip of its ear had froze, and, and its tail had froze, and so it was deteriorating. And eventually, the, the front legs, the bottom uh, below the knees, had, had fallen off and, and, or were about to fall off. And so this lamb would get around on its knees and pick up its hind end, and it would, it would you know, maneuver that way. And um, I took it to the vet, and to, to my dismay, there was nothing that we could do because the muscle tissue had froze and deteriorated, and, and it was... Nothing. That was just the way it was going to be. And so um, he said, I can put the lamb to sleep. Uh, he said, it'll be $35. And I said, uh, I'll take care of it. And so so I took the lamb home, and, and I got uh, Madison's shotgun, and I loaded it, and, of course, I put a bullet through it. Now, I killed, I killed the lamb. I killed the lamb. But it was pretty hard for me to pull that trigger. Uh, I know it was just a lamb, but it was pretty hard for me. 
I just felt like it was better for the lamb to put it out of its misery than, than try to, you know, have it suffer all its life. I killed that lamb, but it was a compassionate kill. <laughs> there is such a thing. What Jesus was telling his disciples is that they're going to kill me in the most cruel way that you can imagine. They're not just going to slice my throat. They're not going to just, you know, put a bullet to my head or shoot an arrow through my heart. It, it's a, it will be a gruesome kill. Disciples, I'm telling you this so that you know that. And so, if we would understand the terms, the words that Jesus used, we may better understand the fright of the disciples. <clears throat> Read the martyr's mirror and you'll discover some of those gruesome, awful deaths. Unimaginable. I cannot imagine how a human being, one of God's creation, can think up of ways to torture other of God's creation other than that person being filled with the devil. It's unbelievable. <clears throat> Jesus was very clear, was very clear with his mission to his disciples. <clears throat> What is the lesson for that today? Sorry, I'm not quite done yet. What is that lesson for us today? When we think about our last Sunday's Sunday school lesson, and we think about our life being hid with Christ and God, and being dead to ourselves and, and being baptized into the death of into, into death by Jesus Christ. I think if we lived in the era of the martyrs, we would probably understand that just a bit better. We would know the costs of following Jesus in a real dynamic way. <clears throat> but I believe it is nonetheless the same for us now we cannot we can only imagine we can only imagine uh, some of the tortures that took place however beloved i'm here to tell us this morning that the cost of following jesus is nonetheless we must commit all to following jesus it costs everything while it is a free gift it does cost everything and i say again like the last 2 weeks ago we, we must love God with all of our heart. We cannot reserve anything. We must love Him with our all, with our passion. We must give Him everything. And so, the cost of following Jesus is the same. It costs everything. We cannot hold something back. It really costs the same today as it did 100, 200, 300, 500 years ago. 
Am I saying that we will be put to the test? I'm not saying that we'll be put to the same test, but I'm saying we will be put to the the test. God is interested in knowing the love of our hearts, and he wants a full commitment of our lives. And so whether we understand the concept of being baptized into Jesus' death or not, that's a reality of the child of God. We cannot escape that. That's not an option. And so the level of commitment, whether it comes or not, must be the same. Whether I enjoy life to the fullest or whether I enjoy life in a short time and end by torturous death. The commitment must be the same. Or else, if the commitment is not there to begin with, when we face that, we'll give up. It'll be too light. It'll be too shallow. May that be a challenge for us. Now, verse 33 through 37 is another interesting subject. He came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, and, and, and this is just an interesting side note. It's a good possibility that this was Peter's house again. Jesus spent a lot of time there. And, and when he comes through Capernaum, um, he, he, that's where Peter resides, I guess. Uh, and, and, um, and so it's a possibility. I, I'm not basing any doctrine on it, but it's a possibility that it is Peter's house. But Jesus asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? And, of course, the disciples were ashamed of themselves, and rightly so. They should have been ashamed of themselves. And we ought to be ashamed of ourselves if we get into the subjects like this. We may, we may, we may lift ourselves above the disciples and say, no, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't talk about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. We wouldn't dispute about that. Is it going to be John, or is it going to be uh, Peter? Is it going to be... Um, James or, you know, who is it going to be? They should have been ashamed of themselves and they did right to hold their peace. Jesus, Jesus goes on and he teaches them in verse 35, and he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, The same shall be last of all and servant of all. And Jesus said in another place that if you want to be the greatest, you be the servant. So it's a reverse psychology. You want to be on top, be on the bottom. You want to be on the bottom, you're going to be on the top. Maybe that's a southern way to say it. But that's really what Jesus is saying. I find it interesting that Jesus asked them a question. What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? And we notice the disciples never gave them an answer. Never gave Jesus an answer. Jesus knew what they were disputing about. Jesus heard rumblings. He heard what they were saying. Jesus puts the question to them to get them to think. 
And that's the way he, that's the way he uh, addresses the issue. It's the way he comes to the point. I wonder, I wonder if us dads and church leaders couldn't take a, an example from this. You know, why do we, and I know it's within us to do this. It's, it's our ugly flesh that wants us to do that. But we want to, we wanna, you know, back the child into a corner and question him out and, and, and make sure that he gives us an answer before we, you know, lash out on him. And uh, we, you know, it's, it's basically a, a, a discrimination and, and it's a, a, a pushing down, you know, stomping on him in the dirt before he gives us an answer. We won't, we won't say what we intend to do until, until he comes to that place. You know, we got him by the throat and we, 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 we demand of him an answer. I think we'd be wise. Just take Jesus' example here. We, we, know the, we know the answer to our question. We know what we're trying to get out. We know what our child did. We know what the brother offended uh, did. <clears throat> what, what do we try to get to the, you know, make a person feel so bad that he can't hear what we're saying then afterwards? I think we all just take a lesson. I think we'd be wise to just do like Jesus said, Jesus did here, and simply address the issue. This child may give us an answer and he may not give us an answer. A person may give us an answer and he may not give us an answer, but simply address the issue. Continue to teach. And you notice that Jesus was in the house, by the way, and he was probably standing, they were probably milling around in the house, and he sits down. <clears throat> now Jesus often sat down in his teaching, but I somehow get the feeling that when Jesus had something very important to say, he wanted to sit down. Uh, this was going to take a while. And Jesus sat down, get on the disciples' level. We're not going anywhere. We're going to address this issue. We're going to talk about it. And Jesus simply tells them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. Could very possibly have been Peter's child. But nonetheless, there was a child there somewhere in the house. And set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, in other words, what that simply means, that he, that he sat down and took the child, and he set him on his knee, on his lap, put his arm around him. And when he had done that, he said to the disciples, Whosoever shall receive one such child, children, of such children in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Now, I don't know exactly what all Jesus is saying there. It's almost like he's, he's you know, once, one time he says, you receive me. And the next time he says, you're not receiving me, you're receiving the one that sent me. Well, it's simply saying, simply saying that if we receive Jesus, we've also received God, the one that sent him. They're, they're one. They're, the Trinity are one. And so Jesus in his all wisdom 
is able to to speak to the disciples and bring together the Trinity when he when he does that. I think it's so neat and so wonderful. And so Jesus is saying that they're not receiving him, but he's simply saying that as they receive him, they also receive God. You see, you receive the one, the one and the same. Oh, there's so many things that we can learn from children. Turn with me now to Matthew 18 and other of Jesus' words. And I think... uh, is, is possibly the same uh, account, the same experience here. But Jesus in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6, he says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Again, this thing of who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus called a little child unto them, and set him in the midst of them, and, and, his, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea." I find it interesting that after Jesus talked to his disciples about his death and resurrection before, he immediately addresses the subject of self-denial right following that. And here he does it again. He talks to the disciples about his death and his resurrection, and then he talks about servanthood. He talks about the disciples that you must serve. Don't worry about being the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Don't worry about that. Oh, I, I tell you, I get so frustrated myself. I frustrated at God's people. Why do we so tangle with that? Who wants to be on top? Who's going to be the greatest? If I can't do it, then I won't play it. Such a childish attitude. And Jesus is trying to rid his disciples of that attitude, that fleshly desire. You have to get rid of that. A worn out quote is that much can be done if no one cares who gets the credit. But it's true. It's true. Can we just learn to be a servant and not worry about our position, not worry about who we are and and how well we're respected and and all of those things? What are... are, um, um, see, I don't even know the word that I want to use. But our uh, reputation, that's what I wanted. Uh, don't worry about that. God will take care of that. Let's focus on being a servant. Being, denying self. Laying self down. Promoting others. I don't know why God is bringing this subject to me again and again. I think there's a Good possibility for me to learn something here. But God is speaking to us here. We must lay ourselves down and be more concerned about others than ourselves. Never neglect 
Never neglect those that are deemed less in our groups. He uses a child here. I've seen some awful, awfully rude things done to, to um, handicapped children and, and, and handicapped persons, older people as well. Uh, some awful things. We, we ought, that ought to not be a part of us. We must serve. When we see a need, that we have compassion and we serve. <clears throat> I know it's something that I need to learn. <clears throat> it fits right in with the following subject. John comes to, comes to Jesus and says, Hey, there, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbade him because he followeth not us. You know, Jesus, he's not a part of us and he was casting out devils and we said you can't do that. But Jesus said, forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me, for he that is not against us is on our part. Listen, just because he's not within this group doesn't mean that he's not doing God's work. You see, that's another part of this servanthood. Well, well, well I'm, I don't get the glory. I don't get the glory to cast out devils, and so and so he shouldn't be doing that. How, listen, beloved. When are we going to wake up? When are we going to grow up? And be Christians and saints of God? I, I know those words seem a bit harsh to us. And you may think that I'm, that I'm pinpointing something. I'm simply challenging us. I'm challenging myself. When am I going to grow up and be a saint of God and not worry about God's kingdom? Who, who does what in, in his kingdom? That is the least of my concerns. That ought to be the least of my concerns. I just, I, I don't know, somehow it's just gripping me. I think, I think it's a good possibility that I have had a wrong theology about God's kingdom and his work. The truth of it is, beloved, we can't do it all. The disciples could not do it all. Even Jesus didn't do it all. I'm not say, I didn't not get it. I didn't say he couldn't do it all. He didn't do it all. Our, our resources are limited. Your abilities are limited. I don't care who you are, what your last name is, and what you have. Your resources are limited. You might be endowed with the most gifts that any of God's saints have ever attained. I'm here to tell you that you are still limited because we are mere men. <clears throat> and so if someone else outside of our realm and outside of our glories is doing the work of God, then we ought to bless that person instead of forbidding him. I realize there may be some that will take that statement 
and run with it and tag me for something that I'm not. But I don't want to confuse Jesus' teaching here with something that he's not teaching. Jesus is telling us that... Jesus is not telling us that half-hearted commitment is good enough. That's not what he's saying. He is saying that if a person is doing God's work in Jesus' name, he is in our camp. He is on our side. Even though he's not a part of our little group. Beloved, just because one is not from us does not mean he can't do God's work. We must broaden our horizons. We must must take off our sackcloth. We must take off the wool over our eyes. And we must see the spiritual light. And we must see that God is bigger than you and I are. Or any small little group on the face of this earth. God is not contained to no time, no resources, no economy, no nothing. God is able to do His work in His kingdom no matter how people respond. No no matter how big or how little we think we are. And how much we think we can accomplish or how little. Let that be settled in our minds. God is bigger than what we can even think about doing for his kingdom. And God uses people all across the world to accomplish his work. What a blessing. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. I'm glad I don't have to do it all. God doesn't ask you to do it all as an individual. God simply asks us to be faithful where God has planted us. And beloved, we see that in verse 41. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in in my name. What? So small. I I thought we were talking about casting out devils. That's right. We were talking about casting out devils. But Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you will be rewarded. Children, boys. Girls, every one of us, every one of us, I, I know Brother Steve is kind of old and, and grippily and, and whatever else, but he can, even, even Brother Steve can give someone a cup of cold water. Yes. You talk about doing something great, like casting out devils and, oh, my, now give a cup of cold water to someone? Nah, it's too small. That's exactly what Jesus was talking about. We must learn to be servants. And when we see a need, that we minister to that need. If it's giving a cup of cold water, we'll do that. If it's opening a door for a person that can hardly walk, then we do that. God will recognize that. You see, there is a reward for faithfulness. Because... Ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, ye shall not lose your reward. I tell you, beloved, let's take courage in that. You may think your ministries are awfully small, and you may think that the only thing I've done today was hand a grouchy old person a tool. I tell you, it will not be unrewarded. Yep, 
I'm blessed by that. I'm blessed by that. Beloved, I'm here to tell us that if we cannot serve in the little things, I question whether we can serve in the big things. We must learn to serve the little things. So you see, that's the very thing that Jesus was talking about as he was holding the child on his knee. Even that child could have went and got Jesus a cup of cold water. You don't have to be very old. You don't have to be of a certain family, prestige. You don't have to have certain amounts of things to be able to minister in those small things. Learn. Jesus said, learn to be a child. Learn to be a child. <clears throat> God's kingdom is not, re- is not divided. It is together. There is rewards for faithfulness. For faithfulness. Verse 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Offenses. Offenses is a big subject. We must be very, very careful with that. Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 10. And he has a, the Apostle Paul talks to the Corinthians about this thing of offenses. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 through 33. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give not offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentile, nor to the child, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Self-denial, servanthood, giving no offense. All of that correlates together into the child of God. It is a fruit of the child of God. It is one that overflows the saint. One that ministers to the needs right around him. Not reaching across the world to to meet the need over there when he leaves needs unleft and undone right here his back doorstep. No, beloved, we must learn to serve We must learn to walk and then run, Uh, even crawl. We must learn to crawl, then walk, and then run. And so we must learn to serve here at home and then learn to serve abroad and serve beyond to the ends of the world. Offenses, beloved, will come, but woe, woe to whom by the offenses cometh. It's very serious. Very serious. Now, the offenses don't always come by people. Sometimes they come by ourselves. Sometimes the offenses come by our own hand, or our own foot, or our own eye. And Jesus is very radical. And he is very clear in his teaching that we must take serious measures to avoid temptation. I wonder what we would think if someone came to church with his arm amputated. We would say, oh my, that was awful. Did you have an accident? No, I decided to take my arm, my hand off because 
I have this temptation. You what? Jesus said it is better, it's better to go through life with one hand than to, than to enter hell with two. Beloved, we must take serious measures. We know our weaknesses. We know the temptations that are prevalent to us. We must take serious measures. We must, we must build resistance. We must resist those temptations. We must do whatever it takes to, to resist the temptation. Now the old evangelist, and I know our setting is a little bit different, but the, the, the same is, is true. The old evangelist would say to the drunkard, don't park your vehicle by the bar or by the tavern. I mean, park it down some other way. Don't even drive by that on that street. And some of you younger ones may, you know, you may smile or chuckle at that. But, beloved, no matter how young or how old we are, that was, that's a real grip for some people. They cannot leave the bottle go. You have a, tr- you have a problem with nicotine? then don't go to where the cigarettes are. Stay out of it. Stay away from it. Don't put yourself in a situation where you, where you create the temptation. Stay away from it. You know that's your weakness, then stay away from it. Now, in our modern world, I'm going to say this. If you know that there are things, and I, I tell you, I'm just going to speak plainly. The, the Internet has, has gives us so much at our fingertips, puts it right to us, right before our eyes. Beloved, if we know our weaknesses, and we, dare, we best be honest with ourselves, if we know our weaknesses and we, we put ourselves into that situation, we are opening the door for the temptation and we are damaging, destroying ourselves. If we have that weakness, it would be best, beloved, to just park the car elsewhere. Don't go there. Don't even go on the Internet. I know it's a tough subject for me. I'm grappling with that myself. There are some things that in my business that I, that I, I have to use the Internet. And I just, I'm, I'm grappling, and brothers, you, you need to pray for me. I, I, don't know, I don't know what to do with myself nor my family. It, it seems like a necessary evil. It, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I have always braced myself with hands and feet against it. I don't want it. I, I've determined not to have it. But it's almost to the place where I'm forced to do something. <clears throat> we must know our weakness. Beloved, I'm just going to be honest enough with you to know that I'm weak, way too weak, to just open-handedly take the Internet myself. I won't do it. I won't do it. I can't do it. it, it uh, there are too many dangers. There are too many temptations. I will not go there. <clears throat> Now, I'm not condemning everyone that has the Internet. I'm not condemning that at all. Some of you brothers are, are far, far stronger than I am. I understand that, but I do understand my weakness. 
And I understand that it would just be best for me not to go there. And so I want to listen to the old evangelists. If I have a problem with alcohol, park my car elsewhere. If I have a problem with the cigarettes, then, then don't go to those places. It would be far better just to not go there. <clears throat> May the Lord grant us wisdom. May all of us, now all of us are human. We are flesh and blood. We have temptations. We have things to deal with. And we must, we must take serious measures, even if it costs our all. We must take serious measures to avoid that temptation. Jesus makes it simple for us. Deal with it. Deal with that temptation. It's better. It's far better. Far better for me to be to have no business and to not even have the internet if it's going to cost my spiritual life, my, my walk with God and my, my home in eternity. Better, far better, far better just to not have it. We must consider the costs. Give Jesus everything. Let's kneel to pray. Our gracious and eternal Father, we thank Thee again for the truths of Your Word. Thank You for blessing us. Thank You for convicting us. Thank You, Lord, for speaking to our hearts. I pray, O Lord, that You would just help each of us to draw closer to Thee, that thy grace may be uh, relevant in our lives from day to day. And we'll be sensitive to your leading and your direction. Give us, O Father, compassion for those that are less fortunate and the needy among us. And, Father, that we would just uh, uh, forget about who is the greatest and, and to just give you all and to be a, willing to be a servant, a slave for thee. Bless us this day. Keep us in that own fair and will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.